0: Hey, it's Martine. Before we start the show today, I have a big favor to ask. Post Reports has been nominated for two Webby Awards. And the only way we win is if we get the most votes. So please vote for us to win. We'll put a link in our show notes and at postreports.com. It only takes a few minutes and it really helps us a lot. Thank you for listening and for all your support. Okay, here's the show.
1: It's really interesting because just a few weeks ago, when I spoke to people here in France about this election, they all sort of agreed that it didn't really matter too much.
0: That's Rick Nowak. He's the Paris correspondent for The Post.
1: They weren't really paying attention. Everyone agreed that it's a very slow campaign, nothing's really happening. And then Really, within a few days, all of this has changed. And really now, a far-right victory by Marine Le Pen is thinkable, at least. It's it's a possibility.
0: And now that there's a real possibility of a far-right French president, this election has enormous stakes for the future of Europe. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Tuesday, April 12th. Today, why a far-right candidate is making inroads to victory in the French presidential election. And how economic angst is swinging people's votes. The first round of the election happened on Sunday. And now there's a runoff between the two leading candidates. The incumbent, President Emmanuel Macron, and Marine Le Pen, the leader of the far-right party.
1: It's interesting because... The two ran against each other already in 2017. So the last presidential election very much looked like the one we're facing now. The difference is that this time the race is expected to be a lot closer than it was in 2017.
0: In the vote that took place two days ago, Macron and Le Pen were less than five points apart. That means that for the next couple of weeks, these two candidates are going to be campaigning like crazy. We caught our colleague Rick in Paris, fresh off the campaign trail, and we wanted to find out from him what happened? What changed the dynamics of this race so radically?
1: Well, if you had asked me this question three weeks ago, it really didn't look like Marine Le Pen would have any chance to win this race. Uh, She was quite significantly behind Macron. The, The war in Ukraine really seemed to have boosted Macron. A lot of voters were looking for experience, they were looking for a candidate to steer this country through uncertain times. But really what has happened over the last two weeks or so is that everything has switched and, and voters have suddenly started um, caring very much about different topics. Purchasing power, rising inflation, the really the economic impact of this war for, for their lives. Those are now their dominant concerns. And those are concerns that the far right and that Marine Le Pen picked up on pretty quickly.
0: So tell me a little bit more about Marine Le Pen and who she was when she first ran against President Macron.
1: Well, Marine Le Pen was a very different politician when she took over her party, the far right party, from her father in 2011. She was really radical at the time, both in style and in in substance. I mean, her father, who had founded the party, which was at the time called the uh, National Front, he'd been convicted of Holocaust denial. That's how far right this party has been in the past. And Marine Le Pen really followed this course throughout much of the past, I'd say, 10 years, really. She set her party up as a party that wanted to take France out of the European Union, out of the Euro, um, really undo a lot of the, the shifts that have taken place in Europe over the past decades or so. So she really stood for a radical alternative in French politics. Back in 2017, Le Pen really focused on the European Union.
0: L'Union Européenne va mourir
1: You have to keep in mind, it was just after Britain had voted to leave the European Union, the United States had just elected Donald Trump. So she was really focusing on on identity
0: issues.
1: She was focusing on France and and its destiny outside of the European Union, as she put it at the time. And she really railed against um, the EU as as a place or as, a, as an institution that doesn't benefit the French people and, and something that will ultimately fall apart, that's destined to fall apart.
0: And then how did that start to shift after she lost in 2017?
1: It started to shift because I think Marine Le Pen realized that she cannot win the presidency that way. And if she can't win the presidency, then there's no reason for her to just stay in politics. So she began to change both the image of herself and of her party. First of all, she renamed the party. It's now called National Rally. But she also presented herself as someone who you would probably have fewer problems voting for if you were on the edge anyway, and if you are unhappy and unsatisfied with the policies under President Emmanuel Macron. So she really set herself up as more traditional opposition candidate rather than someone who's offering this very radical vision for a country that, frankly, the majority of French might not agree with.
0: And so at this point, what is Marine Le Pen promising? Like, What is her platform right now that has gotten a lot of attention in France?
1: Well, on many fronts, uh, Marine Le Pen's platform really is as radical as it was in 2017. When it comes to immigration, for example, she wants a referendum on immigration. She said that would be one of the first things that she does in office, that she would give the French a say on whether they want migrants or not, essentially. So on migration, she hasn't really shifted at all.
0: Mm.
1: And one of the signs that really shows us that Marine Le Pen hasn't really changed in, in a lot of ways is that last week she said... She would find women wearing headscarves in France, for which Macron has attacked her over the past few days. On other fronts, she has tried to become more more moderate. And that's especially when it comes to the European Union and the Eurozone. She's not really arguing anymore that France should leave the Eurozone or the European Union, because I think she has understood that a lot of people are quite concerned about the economic repercussions of such a move, and that a lot of French aren't convinced that being outside of the EU um, is going to make their country more prosperous. and And I think Part of that has also been because Brexit has been such a chaos, really. But she has really focused this entire campaign on the economy, on purchasing power, on issues that, frankly, you would have assumed Emmanuel Macron would also focus on, but he didn't really do any campaigning, whereas all the other candidates were really on the campaign trail over the last months. But I think he didn't realize how the public mood was shifting over the past weeks. And when he did, it was a little too late.
0: After the break, I keep talking to Rick about why Macron is falling behind in the polls and what he can do to win back votes. We'll be right back.
2: This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. MonarchMoney.com slash podcast.
0: In the months leading up to this election in France, some people thought it was Emmanuel Macron's to lose. For the last couple of years, he's projected this image of a calm, capable leader handling crisis after crisis, from the pandemic to the war in Ukraine.
1: And that's really how he. Wanted to be seen. Macron wanted to be seen as someone who's involved in in all of this. And for some time, it really looked like this was going to succeed. This was a winning strategy because people and voters appreciated experience. They suddenly saw Macron as, as someone who could steer their country through a really difficult time. And in the polls, he really gained on the far right. And it looked like there wasn't anything that could possibly stop his re election. But then over the past few weeks, he suddenly dropped to an extent that really has stunned most observers here. And and I don't think a lot of them expected this to happen. This crisis in Ukraine really has had two very different impacts on, on his campaign. It has boosted the perception of him as a leader who can be trusted. But at the same time, he has also seemed aloof and disconnected from voters' concerns. Quite early on, he warned the French that there will be you know, a price to pay for the sanctions, that the French will be impacted economically by the European sanctions on Russia against Russia. And I think he missed the point where he also should have reassured voters and lined out what he's doing to mitigate the impact, which is something that Marine Le Pen has been doing for weeks.
0: So Rick, it it sounds like in the last couple of weeks, Macron has really had to play catch up and run around campaigning much more than he had been previously because he realizes how close this race is. So can you talk a little bit about what that's actually looked like for him going to voters and trying to convince them that he should be reelected? Yeah, re within hours
1: of winning that first round of the election on Sunday, he was back on the campaign trail. And this time, I think for real, um, because um, ahead of the first round, he didn't really do much campaigning at all. I think now he's taking it a lot more seriously. I went with him to the sort of northern towns of France where the far right has been very strong. We went to a town called Denas, which has been very much impacted by unemployment, de and where Macron was greeted both by people who were really hostile. Some of them were playing songs that mocked him. Um, they, they were chanting against him. But some people also did seem eager to hear what he has to say to them. And and he really spent more than an hour just moving very, very slowly from person to person, taking time to talk to everyone, taking photos with children. After that, he went even to another town doing the exact same thing. So I think the message that he is being perceived as aloof, as, as disconnected from voters, really has gotten through to him. And he's trying to... Very much present himself in the opposite way,
0: you know, as an American, I do find this really interesting because i it feels like a lot of the questions that are being grappled with in French politics right now are very similar to the questions that are playing out in the u s. right now of yes a vast majority of people here support Ukraine in this war and want the U.S. to support Ukraine, but also the consequences of that, of higher gas prices, of feeling like things are are getting more expensive, that those are still top of mind for Americans. And it's just interesting to see that play out in France, that they are having a lot of the same concerns, that things are getting more expensive and that they want to hold a politician accountable.
1: I think I think that's exactly right. I mean, I went to southern France just before the first round of the election and, and I spoke to Le Pen voters and I mean some of them really said they would have hosted refugees. They were really struck by the images of what was happening in in Ukraine and, and personally horrified. But Then they also said they're going to vote for Le Pen anyway, even though she is a politician who's in the past portrayed herself as an ally of Russian President Vladimir Putin, who has campaigned against migrants and refugees for years. So there really is a disconnect between how voters have responded on a personal level to this crisis, to this war, and who they're voting for. And in in some ways, it is contradictory, but I think it really shows... How much of a center stage the economy and concerns over the economic impact of this war have taken here in France, and how much of a center stage they frankly also could take in other countries going forward.
0: I'm curious about what this moment says about the power that the far right has both for France but also for other European countries.
1: Well, it seems like in other European countries, there really has been. A, a sort of comeback of the traditional political forces. You know, when you look at Germany, it seemed like a few years ago, very much a similar trajectory to to France. You know, a rising far right, the, the left sort of failing and and declining. But there really has been a comeback of of those traditional moderate forces in some European countries. What's interesting about France is that here. This has not happened. The moderate left and the moderate right parties, they're completely collapsed, really. They're not even sure how to finance themselves anymore. They're in the single digits. They've essentially been crushed by Emmanuel Macron, who presented himself as a centrist, who founded his own party, but really has upended French politics in a way that I think we're not even fully understanding at this point.
0: As France goes into this final part of the election, what is at stake here beyond France for the rest of Europe and for the rest of the world?
1: Well, France is often uh, ridiculed a bit when it wants to be a global power and it wants to be taken seriously and play a major role on on the world stage. But it is true that France does play an outsized role. It has the biggest military in the European Union. So if France Sees a far right presidency that would really upend European politics in a fundamental way, and it would really shift a lot of the power balances within Western alliances in a way that would very much impact the United States as well. What McCall is essentially saying is that if France elects Lupin, it will empower a racist vision for the future of this country that will fundamentally reshape how France looks like today. Le Pen and Macron don't agree on a lot of things, but they do agree that the vote on April 24th will be decisive for the country's future and probably have an impact on this country for decades to come.
0: Rick Nowak is the Paris correspondent for The Post. Emma Talkoff produced this story. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show is mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Ariel Plotnick. And just a reminder, if you haven't yet voted for us in the Webby Awards, do it now. We'll put a link in our show notes and at postreports.com. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.